Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Epic. If you're new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm so glad that you've chosen to join us today. As Tim said, we are ending a series that we've been in over the past number of weeks together. And this series has been about the Holy Spirit. And the reason we've done this series is because when it comes to Jesus, many people know a lot about Jesus. Even people outside of Christianity seem to know a lot about him. And then when it comes to God the Father, we seem to know less about God the Father. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we know even less about the Holy Spirit. And so for a lot of people, the Holy Spirit is just that unknown God. So we've been trying to get to know the Holy Spirit better, who he is and and what he does in our lives. So in week one, we learned that the Holy Spirit is a real divine being that we can have a relationship with. He's not just a a supernatural force in the universe. He's not just God's spirit, but he's the third member of the Trinity relationship, and we can have a relationship with him. Then in week two, we talked about the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to all of his followers, and there was about 20 spiritual gifts that we looked at there. So hopefully you were able to explore some of those resources that we provided you in getting to know what your spiritual gifts might be. Now, does anybody remember what we talked about last week? I think I heard somebody say fire. We did, we talked about fire, but we talked about something else. So we talked about building a fire for what to happen? Don't you love pop quizzes? They're great. All right, so we talked about the fruit of the spirit. And I said, in order to grow fruit, to grow that type of fruit, you gotta build a fire. And we talked about building a fire, which is our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And as we have a growing relationship with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit becomes evident in our lives. And that's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now, today, what we're going to do is we are going to talk about some of the misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. And there are many. Uh, We're not going to deal with all of those misconceptions. We're just going to deal with about five of the misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. And before we get into that, let me just say a few things. For years, Christians have been divided on the Holy Spirit. Some groups have very strong opinions in one direction. Other groups have very strong opinions in another direction. And those opinions have led to division, division within churches Division within families and division within friendships. But I don't think that's what God intended when he sent the Holy Spirit to us. He didn't intend for us to be divided. He he intended for us to be united. And so I think what God wants us to do is to fight for unity, even in moments where we might find ourselves disagreeing with each other. The Bible actually says that the world will know that we are God's disciples by our love for each other, not our ability to win a biblical debate. So today, there's a really good chance that I might teach something that goes contrary to what some of you have been taught about the Holy Spirit. And if that happens, here's what I encourage us to do. I encourage us to stay focused on what scripture has to say. I encourage us to agree that we might disagree on a few things, 
And I encourage us to fight for unity above all else. So I'd like to ask this morning, are you all in agreement with that? Is that the thing that you would say, yes, we can do that, fight for that today? Yes, yes great. I've got about 10 of you. It's awesome. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a great morning. Now, if you aren't a Christ follower, we are going to drill into some of the things of Christianity, Christianity that you might look at and say, man, that stuff is just weird. Why do they do that? We're going to drill into some of that weird stuff and, and help you understand a little bit more about maybe why Christians do some of this. And what I ask everybody to do is I ask everybody to listen to all that I have to say. And I know this is really hard um, because sometimes we hear one thing and then we assume, oh, I know what he's going to say next. And we start running down that road and realize, oh, I took a left-hand turn and left you somewhere uh, back on the road. So stay with me. Don't assume you know what I'm going to say or not say. Just listen to all of what I have to say. And at the end, then we can talk about what actually happened, what actually was said, and where you are according to, to what I was teaching. Another thing I encourage you to do is take notes. So today, again, um, like I've said all throughout this series, I'm going to cover a lot of information. And today's message is very technical. So that means we're going to be looking at a lot of Bible verses. And if you're writing those Bible verses down, then you can go back and look at them later. And I encourage everybody to do that. All right. Is everybody ready? Great. Now I got three that are ready. Man, we went from 10 to three. <laughs> Man, I'm nervous this morning. All right, here we go. Hopefully a few of you will you know, jump into the conversation as we go along. So the first misconception that we're going to talk about this morning is when and how we start a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And there's different beliefs out there. There are some who say, you know, we start a relationship with the Holy Spirit the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But other people say, no, uh, we start a relationship with the Holy Spirit at some point after we start a relationship with uh, Jesus. And then there are Christians who say, you know, it's possible to be a Christ follower without the Holy Spirit. So listen to what Paul says. Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter eight. And we got to understand as we look at this, we're stepping into the middle of a conversation. So there's a lot of context of this conversation that we're not fully sure of, but I'm trying to pull something out of this verse for us to understand. So verse nine says this. He says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. Then listen to Ephesians chapter one. This is again, the apostle Paul. Verse 13, he says, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. So those two passages tell us the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior is the moment we receive the Holy Spirit or start a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And when we start a relationship with Jesus, we start a relationship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit as well because they are a package deal. You cannot have one without the other. 
Okay. Now, the debate about when we start a relationship with the Holy Spirit often centers on what Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter one. So listen to what Jesus said. And this is right before Jesus ascends back to heaven. So we have his death, his burial, his resurrection. He appeared to many of his followers and then he gathers his followers together and he says this in verse four. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter two, we we learned that a few weeks ago, we saw that the Holy Spirit came and he gave those original disciples the ability to speak in other languages. It's also known as the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. And um, tongues in that moment was evidence of the Holy Spirit indwelling and empowering those original disciples. So there are some Christians who believe that we can't receive the Holy Spirit until we speak in tongues. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 11, he says, it is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. And he's talking about the spiritual gifts that we learned about a couple of weeks ago. There's about 20 spiritual gifts. When you become a Christ follower, you're given one of those gifts. The gift of uh, speaking in tongues was one of those gifts. Paul says the Holy Spirit alone decides which gift each person should have. In verse 12, he says the body, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So baptism of the spirit does not mean the ability to speak in tongues. Baptism of the Spirit means the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit baptizes us symbolically into the body of Christ. Now, speaking in tongues, uh, in that moment in Acts chapter 2 was evidence of the Holy Spirit's indwelling and empowering those original followers. But we'll get into uh, speaking in tongues in just a minute. Another misconception about the Holy Spirit centers on the misconception of emotional experiences. So there are Christ followers who believe that if you have a true relationship with the Holy Spirit, you will have these deep, profound emotional experiences. And if you don't have those experiences, either you don't have the Holy Spirit or something's wrong with you. And there are legitimate Christ followers who feel like maybe they aren't a Christ follower or they don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit because they don't have these deeply emotional experiences. Neither of those things are true. We have to be careful when uh, evaluating our relationship with the Holy Spirit based upon emotions. Has anybody ever recognized that your emotions can lead you to the wrong place? Anybody ever had that happen in your life? Like at one moment you were like, this is awesome. And then you got there and you're like, oh, this is so not awesome. Like, why did I listen to my my emotions? So we have to be careful about letting our emotions always lead us. Our emotions can lead us to the wrong place. And some Christians chase emotional experiences, trying to define their relationship with God based upon those experiences. And we should not do that. Um, Some Christians do have deeply emotional, 
religious experiences. And other Christians don't have deeply emotional religious experiences. And I think part of that is based upon how God has wired us. So God has wired some people to be uh, feelers and other people to be thinkers. So I think it's, it's part of that wiring and we need to give ourselves some grace in the context of that. We need to know that emotional experiences are not a prerequisite for God to indwell us or work within us. So if you have deeply emotional experiences, religious experiences, great. Just don't try to define your relationship with God based upon those experiences. If you don't have deeply emotional religious experiences, great. And don't get caught up in trying to define your relationship with God based upon a lack of those experiences. God has made us very different. And we need to make sure that we keep our emotions in the proper context in our lives. Now, some of the biggest misconceptions about the Holy Spirit center on the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. And a few weeks ago, again, we talked about those gifts. We talked about possibly if you're a Christ follower, you've been given the gift of wisdom or leadership or mercy or teaching or encouragement or possibly even the gift of speaking in tongues. Now, the person who gets the gift of speaking in tongues is given the ability to speak another language that they don't naturally speak. And its purpose is to proclaim the good news of Jesus to people who have not heard about Jesus. We see that in Acts chapter 2. We see that in Acts chapter 10. We see that in Acts chapter 19. People of other cultures were able to hear about Jesus in their own language and then respond to that message about him. But for years, Christians have been divided on the subject of speaking in tongues. And that division goes all the way back to when tongues were originally given. Uh, The Apostle Paul actually wrote chapter 12, 13, and 14 out of 1 Corinthians because people were fighting over the spiritual gift of tongues. And so he comes and he helps them have a better understanding of that gift and how to use that. And it's really sad to think that Christians would fight over something God gave us to unite us. And I would say, let's not be that kind of church. Let's not be those kind of people. Let's not allow that to happen here. The main debates around tongues center on three things. Centers on whether tongues still exist today. Number two, who should be able to speak in tongues. And number three, what it really means to speak in tongues. So I'm going to tackle each of those one at a time. So the first question is, does the gift of tongues still exist today. Some Christians say yes. Some Christians say no. And we need to understand, there are Bible scholars on both sides of this debate who I highly um, respect and admire who disagree with each other. Like We need to understand, there are like super smart, highly educated, passionate followers of Jesus who disagree with each other on this one. And they've been talking about this for a lot longer than we have been alive. So when we step into this conversation, let's do so with all humility, knowing that we're just the new kids on the block entering a conversation that's been going on a whole lot longer than we've been around. So we need large amounts of humility as we engage this conversation. 
So there are people who believe that the spiritual gift of tongues does not exist anymore. And uh, some of them base that belief on a passage in scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, actually verses 8 through 12. So we're going to explore this a little bit together. So verse 8 says, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when full understanding comes, we'll get back to that in a minute, these partial things will become useless. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror, but then... We'll get back to what that means in a minute. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Now we're going to pull two key phrases out of that passage, chapter, or verse 10 and verse 12. So verse 10 says, when full understanding comes, verse 12 says, then we will know everything completely. So people who believe that the spiritual gift of tongues have ceased, they're called cessational, cessationalists. That's a big word. Say that three times real fast. So they believe that what those two passages are talking about is the Bible. And they say, when we now have the Bible, and now that we have the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament put together in the package that we have it, that means full understanding has come, and now we can know everything completely. But even with what we have in the Bible, uh, the knowledge that we have from it, I still feel like what Paul said in verse 12 when he said, um, we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror. The Bible does give us a whole lot of clarity of what God wants us to know. But even with that, there's still a lot that we don't know about scripture that we still need to learn. So my question is, what does full understanding mean? And when will we know everything completely? I think, it's just my opinion, I think it's when Jesus comes back. I think when Jesus comes back, we will have full understanding. You know, the stuff that we scratch our heads with now and go like, I don't know. I don't fully understand. I don't get that. When Jesus is here, I think we'll go, oh, now I get it. Oh, that now makes perfect sense. So when Jesus comes, we'll have full understanding. We will know what he knows as he knows everything completely and perfectly about us. But until that happens, I do think the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, as well as the gift of prophecy, as well as the spiritual gift of uh, special knowledge, I think those things will remain in existence until Jesus comes back. But here's what I see in scripture. I see a significant decrease in the use of spiritual gifts of tongues, the gift of tongues, in the New Testament. And today, I see a significant increase in the misuse of tongues. And I'll explain that in just a minute. So number two, question number two. Who should speak in tongues? 
Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 tells us it is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. And then in verse 29, he says, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? And he says, of course not. We don't, have, we don't all have those gifts. So verse 31, he says, so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. So who should speak in tongues? The people who've been given that gift by the Holy Spirit. Now, some churches elevate the gift of tongues above all other gifts and teach that everyone should speak in tongues. If you're a Christ follower, everybody should speak in tongues. Everybody should have that ability, but that's not biblical. God's not given everybody the gift of speaking in tongues, and we should not elevate that gift above any other gift. So listen to what the Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5. He says, I wish you all could speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy, for prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. So the Apostle Paul says, listen, the the ability to prophesy, which is speaking boldly and clearly on God's behalf from Scripture. So when we do that, he says, prophecy is greater than the spiritual gift of tongues. Doesn't mean tongues should not be spoken. It just means tongues should not be elevated above other spiritual gifts. Question number three, what does it really mean to speak in tongues. I hope you're still engaging. I hope you're still listening, you know, open mind, hearing all that I have to say. Like I mentioned earlier, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues is the ability to speak in a known foreign language that the speaker does not naturally speak. And the purpose of that gift is to tell other people of other cultures what Jesus has done for them. So 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22, tells us that tongues are a sign for unbelievers. So its purpose is truly evangelistic. But when it comes to speaking known foreign languages today to help other cultures come to Christ, that seems to be very rare. I've actually heard of that happening in remote parts of the world uh, where missionaries go to tell people about Jesus, where they didn't speak that language and possibly they were given that gift uh, to speak that language of that culture and tell them about Jesus. Uh, But when I look around the United States, it just seems like the use of the gift in that context is extremely rare. When it comes to how we use that gift at least what it seems like in America, most often what we see is people speaking what is called an angelic language or an ecstatic language. So we're gonna drill into that just a little bit. In 1 Corinthians 12, after describing some of the spiritual gifts and how they fit together like parts of a body, then Paul says this. He says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And he uses all of chapter 13 to talk about love. He says, love is the greatest gift. It's the greatest thing. It's the thing that we should pursue above everything else. Love should be our highest goal. Our highest goal as Christ followers. So let me ask, if you're a Christ follower, is love your highest goal? Is it your highest goal? Is it my highest goal? It should be. 
it should be our highest goal. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, he says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So some Christ followers believe that that verse affirms that speaking in tongues is an angelic language or an ecstatic language in addition to a known human language. But I don't personally believe that's what Paul was saying there. I think what Paul was saying there was he was using an exaggeration to prove a point. I think Paul was saying something like this. Listen, if I could fly to the moon and back but didn't love people, it would be worth nothing. And so I think Paul in that moment is using an exaggerated statement not to make an affirmation that uh, the gift of tongues is an angelic language or an ecstatic language. But listen to this. I have really good friends who disagree with me. I have uh, really good friends in this church who are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, who love Jesus as much as anybody who disagree with me. And the cool thing is, we don't allow those differences of opinion here to divide our relationship, to divide our unity in our mission and our purpose of reaching people in our community for Christ. And so my friends and I, we understand that this is a lesser issue of scripture. And we understand it should stay there. And we understand that um, this is one of those issues in scripture where there's room for different interpretation. It's like a gray area in scripture where we don't have full clarity on that. And it's a spot that's okay for some differences. Now, here's where we don't have room for differences. When it comes to speaking tongues in church, Paul gives very specific guidelines for how that should happen. So listen to some verses out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll start in verse 19. Paul says this, he says, in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Verse 23, he explains why he said that. He said, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you're crazy. And maybe you're in that spot. Maybe uh, you're not a Christ follower and you have thought, you know, like maybe you've kind of come around some church circles that elevate the gift of tongues or you've seen that on TV in some context or you've been around a Christ follower and you hear them do that and you're like, like I don't get it. Like, that's just weird to me. Like, I don't understand it. And, and if I become a Christ follower, does that mean that's what I'm gonna be doing? So Paul's just acknowledging that there are people outside of the faith that'll hear that and go like, oh, that's just weird. That's just crazy. But he continues. Verse 26, he says, when you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, another will interpret what is said, but everything that is done must strengthen all of you. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must remain silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all of the meetings of God's holy people. So according to those verses, some of what happens in American churches today is not biblical. In verse 39, Paul does say, we should not forbid speaking in tongues. 
But he does say, when it comes to speaking in tongues in the context of a church, there are very specific guidelines for how that should happen. Now, let me remind all of us of a few things. Unity within the body of Christ is of utmost importance. And a sign of the Holy Spirit working in us is when we can disagree with each other and still love each other. But too many Christians allow their disagreements to divide. I actually have a friend of mine who through some deeper study in scripture of the Holy Spirit and his involvement in our lives, he changed his position that he used to have and uh, he changed his thoughts on the Holy Spirit. And that decision, as he was starting to share it with some of his other friends, caused him to lose most of his close friends within his church. And I think that's wrong. I think that grieves the heart of God. And I think it grieves God's heart when we reduce the Holy Spirit to a debate about a spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit is way bigger than just one gift. The Holy Spirit is a real divine being that we can have a relationship with. And when we start a relationship with him, he lives inside us and empowers us to live the life that God wants us to live. He teaches us, he guides us, he corrects us, he comforts us, he equips us, he gives us spiritual gifts. And the evidence of that work in our lives is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And the reason I count like that is because I know there's nine, and I got to make sure I hit them all. (laughs) Now, I know I've covered a lot of information today, and some of you are like brand new to this subject, and you're like, wow, like information overload. I hope you've taken notes. If not, uh, you can revisit this message again and uh, listen to more of it. Uh, on our website. For others of you, you feel like maybe I went too far in my teaching on the Holy Spirit. Others of you feel like I didn't go far enough. Some of you feel confirmed about what I've taught because maybe it aligns a little bit more with what you believe. Others of you may feel a little bit unsettled, a little bit irritated uh, that I didn't quite teach what you believe. Regardless of where you are, what I encourage all of us to do today is pick up a copy of our Spiritual Growth Challenge and spend time this week reading 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And I believe that as we're reading that, we should push for unity above all else. We should ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and teach us what he wants us to know on this incredibly important subject of him and how he operates in our lives. Now, as we close today, we're going to refocus on who I think the Holy Spirit wants us to, to focus on as we end. And here's a really cool thing about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is no jealousy in the Godhead. There is no trash talk going on. You know, the Holy Spirit isn't saying, like, hey, you do one series on me and all the rest of your series are about Jesus? Like, what's the deal? Like, I do stuff too. 
The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit points everybody to Jesus and says, you need to know Jesus. Because anything and everything the Holy Spirit can do in our lives happens because Jesus died on the cross so we can live. And when we put our faith and trust in him, then we not only start a relationship with Jesus, we start a relationship with God the Father and a relationship with the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live more like Jesus. So I think the Holy Spirit says to all of us today, it's all about Jesus. Never forget that. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to sing an old hymn or a part of an old hymn called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I'm just curious, does anybody recognize that song? A handful of you. Um, whether you recognize it or not, this is a great song and a truth that all of us should hold on to. We should always focus on Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. So this morning... Uh, I'm going to ask that we do that. As we're singing this song, that we would turn our eyes to the one who died so that we can live. So if you would, just stand with me, and then I'll pray, and we'll sing. Lord, we're ending this series on the Holy Spirit. And God, we ended with this subject of misconceptions, because... Uh, Lord, there are just so many misconceptions out there on the Holy Spirit. And it's just sad to look at the reality that conversations about the Holy Spirit, conversations about gifts that the Spirit gives, have divided churches, divided families, divided friendships. And yet, God, that's not what you have for us. You didn't give us the Holy Spirit so we could be divided. You gave us the Holy Spirit so we could be united, even when we may disagree with each other on a few issues of scripture. So Lord, I pray that as a church family, we would pursue unity above all else. I pray that we would have a proper understanding of the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. I pray that we would allow the Holy Spirit to empower us and to fill us and to lead us on a, a regular basis, a daily basis, a moment by moment basis. Lord, this morning we're reminded, and I think the Holy Spirit is reminding us, that it all starts with Jesus. It starts with a, a personal relationship with him. And out of that relationship, we can be tr totally transformed through a relationship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. So this morning we turn our eyes to you, Jesus, and what you have done in our lives and what you will do in our lives. We're grateful for a God who would willingly die for us, pay the ultimate sacrifice so that we could live for all of eternity. And this morning, we turn our eyes to you. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray this. Amen.